Welcome to Career Catalyst, a podcast that focuses on the gap between career planning and job searching advice. There are plenty of great sources for understanding how to handle job interviews, create resumes, or how to network, but this podcast focuses on the important topic of what people actually do and what paths they have taken in their career journeys. On the next episode of season three, I talk to Aaron Armendinger, who is the CEO of Compass Labs, which is a boutique agency that supports mainly retailers as they support consumers on their journey through their website experiences or other retail experiences that they're managing. Aaron has an excellent career story that actually really kind of bobs and weaves through a number of different industries. She, she kind of summarizes this at the end of the conversation, but it's a career that starts out in government and in, in the defense department, moves over into banking, and then moves over into, after an MBA, moves over into retail luxury, education, commercial real estate, back into retail. And then now she finds herself as a startup CEO. She's got excellent insights, I think, both on how you think about building a network and cultivating that network, as well as being open to many opportunities that can really uh, change the course of a career and and really afford a good career. I think the insights and the benefits that lead to um, having a rewarding outcome, as well as feeling like you have purpose in a a journey. And as a side story, and I kind of mentioned this right as we get going with Erin, is, you know, one of the first times I met Erin, I was across the table from her in a, you know, kind of a pre-negotiation situation. And like I say, within a few seconds, it was very clear that she is extremely intelligent. And I think the group that I was with knew we were outgunned (laughs) when we were going to go into this discussion uh, that we were talking about. And I've always been super impressed with not just her intellect, but the way she views things, the way that she can break down problems and see opportunities. Uh, And I've always just enjoyed her her advice and her counsel. So uh, I hope you enjoy the show. We certainly enjoy having these conversations. And again, if you do enjoy it, please give us some love. Uh, Rate us, share us with your friends, um, talk about us. Uh, You can follow uh, the the Career Catalyst handles on Twitter and and Instagram. Uh, We post about it on LinkedIn through my own personal LinkedIn profile, Todd Starcevich. Um, And again, if you can can help us build the show, we're really enjoying having these conversations. And we really hope that uh, anyone in their career journey, especially younger people that are trying to really figure out what is the right path to take, they can learn from these discussions around, you know, how, how paths and how journeys really take shape and, and what they can they can learn from some of these stories that people are sharing on Career Catalyst. So hope you enjoy the conversation. And uh, again, if you can give us some love, we really appreciate it. All right. Welcome back. we got another great episode today on Career Catalyst. I've got an excellent guest, uh, Aaron Armendinger, on the show. Uh, just as a, a quick context here. The first time I met Erin, I was actually sitting across the table from her in a kind of pre-negotiation meeting, uh, and I, within about 30 seconds of the conversation, I knew we were outgunned. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks for joining the show, Erin. Thank you for having me, Todd. I appreciate yeah. it. So do you, you know, kind of as we start every discussion, do you mind just giving us a quick intro of who you are, what you do, where you're at? Sure. Uh, so you told everybody, my name is Erin Ormendinger. Uh, I am currently the CEO of a company called Compass Experience Labs. Mm-hmm. We are a boutique business process outsourcer. What that means is we do customer care for a lot of D2C brands. So 
Um, my mom always has trouble understanding what I do. So I say, mom, when you buy a sweater, a pair of sneakers, um, you know, a, a platter from XYZ company and you call, chat, email afterwards to say, like, I don't know where my order is or I want to return it or something is, you know, I need some information about something. You're really calling an outsourcer most of the time. And yeah. that's what we do. That's cool. Very cool. And you... Just from a location standpoint, the company's in Ohio, but you live in New York, correct? I live in New Jersey. Got it. That's right. That's yep. right. Yep. So you are you are part of the the post pandemic era of kind of distributive slash remote workforces. That is true, and about half of our company is also in the Philippines. So um, we are remote and global. I would say. <laughs> Very cool. Very cool. All right. So let's we'll come back to kind of some of the details of how you got to where you're at today. But let's go back to where your kind of career started. So do you want to talk about where you went to school and what your major was and how you were thinking about what your career might look like early on? Sure. I went to university uh, in D.C. at a place called American University. Okay. Um, I want to say I didn't think that much about where I went to college, to be honest. Um, I grew up in Long Island. I had always done pretty well in school and I really, really, really liked school. Um, just didn't really have uh, context for like, like an Ivy League or, you know, like what was a, a great school or not a great school. I just there wasn't that much pressure about it, I think, back when I went to school a long, long, long time ago, and I didn't think too much about it. Um, I liked D.C. I liked the campus. I wanted to study international relations, and they have a school of international service. I thought I would, you know, spend four years in D.C. and eventually take the foreign service exam and become a diplomat one day. Oh, wow. That was the plan. Very cool. That is that is. Awesome. So the degree, what was the, what was the actual degree in then? International relations and economics. Um, it was about the time, and I'll really date myself, uh, when the European Union was really uh, forming. It was the Treaty of Maastricht had been signed, and the European Union was really uh, coming uh, into itself as a, a real uh, government entity, let's say, or a, a, the. Um, the uh, union of, of several governments, obviously. Yeah. So I had a chance to study abroad in Brussels for a semester. Wow. It was the first time I'd ever been anywhere outside of the U.S. Um, got to go to almost every country imaginable in Europe <laughs> in that time. And it was fascinating and eye-opening. And I just knew I wanted to be a diplomat. Yeah. And then um, I think, as is a theme in my career, um, an opportunity presents itself that is totally different and I fall in love with the possibility and that's kind of what happened. So, wow. um, my junior year, maybe your senior year, I had opportunities for internships. One was with the department of commerce, which would have put me on a much more, um, straight path, I would say. Mm -hmm. And then one was at this really cool lobbying group and I chose the really cool lobbying group um, <laughs> got to spend a lot of time on the hill got to learn from an amazing um, lobbyist and I just fell in love with the possibility of what they were doing and and everything that was going on and realized I didn't really want to work in a government job that was mm -hmm. really sort of routine to me and you know listen we need the government and we need folks who work there it just wasn't for me 
Yeah. Um, so I ended up after I have a, I have a knack for graduating from schools, um, in really poor economic times. <laughs> um, so it always shapes my career a little bit. Um, so I graduated, it was really hard to get a job. I ended up working at a taking work at a temp agency back at the time before like the gig economy, you went to like a temp company. Mm -hmm. They put me in a role at Lockheed Martin, which had literally just merged. It was the merger of the Lockheed company and Lockheed corporation Mm -hmm. and Martin Marietta. Um, And I eventually a couple months in, they knew I was smart and people were, were kind and generous. And I interviewed for some internal roles And I got a job doing benefits finance. Um, And what that meant was I was about 21 years old and they needed someone to bring the Lockheed savings plans, defined contribution plans Mm -hmm. to Martin Marietta, like physically. So it was a ridiculously cool job. I got to, I love numbers and spreadsheets and a, a good DOD audit, I learned. Um, so I got to go out to Lockheed's headquarters, which were in Calabasas. There was hardly anybody left at the time. Everybody had moved out to DC in uh, Mark Marietta's headquarters. And they had this amazing, these amazing grounds and a chef and all this other stuff. And I was so young, somebody had to sign off on me having a rental car even. I was too young to even have my own rental car. Um, What I learned really quickly was that business travel sounds like a lot of fun, but it really isn't. Like eating by yourself every night, right? Staying in a hotel, it's not that much fun. Um, So, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So <laughs> that's pretty funny. You're absolutely right on the business travel. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let me just real quick kind of uh, jump on one, two things you said. One simple yeah. thing that's for, I, I want to say it's for, for listeners, but it's also probably for me. DOD audit means what? Oh, Department of Defense. Okay. Um, so I, I think you take from every single job, you take some great things from each of them, whether they're good, bad, they end the way you wanted to or not. Um, And I think what I learned at Lockheed Martin, and it was great. I ended up moving to be with my boyfriend, who's now my husband of over 20 years. So it was a pretty good bet. But um, what I learned at Lockheed Martin was very uh, structured ways of doing business. They were a defense contractor. If you had a lunch or coffee or anything with, with anybody who could have been from the government, you paid your own way, which guess what is the same I'll learn years later at Walmart. So like Mm -hmm. you didn't take a soda from somebody, you put a dollar on the table, like before you took it or something like that. Um, I learned really on to be really, really, really precise in my um, dealings with vendors and with contractors and people who, you know, different people had different kinds of influence in a room, let's say more broadly. Um, There was no alcohol at events. You were very proper. There were a lot of ex-military folks Um, just to be very precise and very um, just very buttoned up in the way that you did business and that your reputation like was all you had. Yeah. So I learned a lot of that. And um, just bringing it back, a Department of Defense audit is very, very, very difficult. Um, you, again, have to be super precise with documentation and numbers and figures. And I just learned that early on that, like, you reconcile things to the penny. Like, that's mm. the way it works. So, and you wow. have 
documentation for every every decision that you make and every everything that you do. So yeah, and that's quite the lesson as a 23, 22. It's a great lesson. Wow, yeah, for it sure. Served me very, very, very well. I still use some <laughs> of those lessons today. <laughs> Very cool. All right. So, so you, you kind of went into lobbying as an intern and then found yourself kind of in this opportunity through the temping to get into yeah. Lockheed Martin. Now you're in the benefits finance group. What's going on? Like what happens from there? I mean, how long do you stay there? Like, yeah. how do you think about your career at this point? I stay there, I think like two or three years, maybe I'd have to go back and look. It was so long ago. Um, but then my boyfriend at the time moved to, had moved to New Jersey and I was in DC still. And I made a personal decision to Mm -hmm. go back to New Jersey. Mm -hmm. When I told my, um, our provider service provider for our own 401k plan that I was moving to the New York area, they were like, that's great. We love you. And we're headquartered here. Come work for us. So um, it's another great life lesson, right? Yeah, you yeah. really like, you know, vendors are partners and, yeah. you know, it's it's a good life lesson to, to um, people will help you out if they think you're smart and you're good and you're kind and you're fair and all these mm-hmm. other things that you want to be. So, no, absolutely. There's, yeah. there's, there's so, far too many situations. I think people think they need to beat up vendors to a point that it's, it's not a good, you know, working relationship as an individual, you can build a a pretty strong network by, by going beyond just your employees or your customers. So a hundred percent. Yes. I totally agree with you. And I know you and I have both sat on both sides of the, of the table over the years. So yeah, I agree with you. The best vendors are true partners and they're, you know, their clients are partners as well. And they can be a really fruitful relationship. So yeah. Cool. All right. So, so now you've gone over to a 401k provider. Um, I go to a little company that nobody will uh, know anymore. And I'm saying that sort of um, facetiously, it's not that little. It was Bankers Trust, um, which was bought out by Deutsche Bank um, Mm -hmm. after a couple of years. So I go to Bankers Trust and it is a very different culture from Lockheed Martin. Um, They had been caught up in a derivative scandal a couple of years before there Mm -hmm. was like, you know, it was, it was Wall Street. There was like a lot of, um, there were a lot of events of events with alcohol. Let's just put it that way. Like, you know, to juxtapose from the yeah. Lockheed Martin days. So I was in a little bit of culture shock um, in a way, but it was super fun. It was great to be at a vendor on the other side. It was, um, I had a lot of responsibility there. Um, I had some great mentors and great leaders who taught me a lot. Um, so yeah, it was a it was a great role, and I did that for a long time. I would say, I don't know, six or seven years. Um, okay. Eventually, they were bought. That piece of Bankers Trust was bought by MetLife. Mm. So then I worked for MetLife um, in during that period. Um, I went to MetLife at some point to my leaders there, who again were so kind and generous with me, and I, you know, I done I had done really well there. I'd, I'd risen pretty quickly and had a lot of authority and input and I felt really valued there. And I said to them, um, you know, I love doing this. Um, but I would love to go back to business school. Like the one thing I love more than working is learning. (laughs) Um, and I would love to go back to business school. So can you guys fill out my recommendations for me? Mm. Um, and our like, EVP or SVP. I didn't know what any of it meant at the time. Um, Her name was Jody. I still remember. She came to me and she was like, that's great that you want to go to business school, but 
you know, your client loves you and like, I need you to stay here and we love you and we want you to stay here. And I was like, that's really interesting. I don't understand what you mean because I want to go to business school. Um, So they came back to me and I was like in my like, you know, not even 30 yet. So like maybe 27 or so. And they came back to me and said, you know, where do you want to go to school? And I said, I only want to go to Wharton. It's been like a lifelong dream of mine to go to Wharton. That's the only thing I want to do. And that's the only place I'm applying. And they were like, just give us a day or two. And I was like, what do they mean? Give us a day or two. I'm asking you like, you know, I couldn't understand it. So they came back to me and they said, hey, do you know that Wharton has this thing called an executive MBA program Mm -hmm. where you can get the same exact degree in the same exact time frame, pretty much. There's an extra, extra few months. Mm-hmm. Um, and guess what? We can sponsor you for it and pay for it. Um, wow. And you can keep working and we'll give you the time off to do it. Wow. So yeah, it took me a minute to like process the whole thing. And then I literally had no idea what it was. So I looked into it and lo and behold, Wharton is one of the odd schools as it is, it is in a number of ways where it's the exact same degree, same education, same professors, literally the same degree at the end. Um, but you go every other Friday and Saturday for two years. It's an extra sort of like you go through the summers too. So it's a little mm-hmm. bit more time, but mm-hmm. um, yeah. So I did that. I was like, I'll take that. Yeah. Instead of like having all this debt and everything else. So um, (laughs) I did that. It was great. Um, The one part about it that was not great. I ended up, well, it was, but it wasn't. Um, I ended up sitting on a committee that some Wharton MBA alums were the consultants who were working on it. They did a project for MetLife to look at the P&L of our business um, and break it down, like specifically down to our business unit, because it just wasn't broken down that way at the time. Mm-hmm. And I was like the most, 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 most junior person in this committee. Um, it was very senior execs working on it. And then I was sort of like the analyst, let's say, for the consultants who were Wharton MBA alums. And that's why. Um, well, I, my husband drove me to the train station one day. We started a meeting at about, I don't know, I want to say 7, 7.30 in the morning because it was with a whole bunch of execs on the MetLife side and we were presenting the findings of this committee. Um, and I'll just give you a preview. They were not good. We were bleeding cash was, I think, the phrase that was used. It wasn't like a little bit. Yeah. Um, so I opened the door to my husband's Jeep, I remember, at the Princeton Junction train station. And I remember what I was wearing and everything else. And I said to him, no joke, this is going to be like the most important meeting of my life. Like huh. I was so junior and I had all this exposure, you know, on and on and on and on. We get to the meeting that was in Manhattan um, one Madison was the building and, you know, it was back in the day we had pagers and we had systems. So sometimes systems would go down and pagers would go off. Well, it was, I honestly sounds, uh, it will sound bad to say, I don't remember what time it was, but it was sometime between about seven 30 and nine 30 or so all the pagers in the room start going off. And there was mm-hmm. like 20 people in the room and it was like people from all different places. And you knew something wasn't right. Uh, it was nine 11. Wow. Um, so yeah, so I get like a pit in my stomach saying that because I remember the morning so well. Um, the rest of the day is obviously a blur for me. So um, we obviously- Where, where is the meeting at? Do you mind me asking? One Madison. It was the One Madison building, One Madison Avenue. So um, downtown New York, but not that far downtown, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, but in the middle of New York. 
Wow, my, so, hair, my arms just raised up. That, yeah, that is. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yes, it was an mm. obviously wild time. Yeah. Uh, obviously, uh, not the day that we all thought it was going to be at all. Not that it was mm. going to be good news either way, but not that uh, catastrophic, yeah. of course, at all. Um, so after that, because MetLife was an insurance company, there were a lot of like issues, lots of things came to the forefront and, you know, the business was not a great business that they had bought. So they ended up, um, getting out of the business. They paid for me to go to school. I stayed there for a little bit. And there was talk of like, you know, do you want to stay and do like annuities? And, you know, if you know me now, you're like, you worked at MetLife and they thought about you doing annuities. Like it's kind of crazy. So I spent a ton of time at Wharton. It was, you know, bad times for everybody. Obviously, 9-11 happened. The um, e-com bubble had cropped, like popped. Like there were lots of crazy, wild things going on in the world. Um, and I spent a lot of time at school with a professor in the Graduate School of Education, who I've told many times since then, like totally changed my life. Mm. And um, he would say to, he would like, do career coaching sessions for all of us. And he would say to me, like, what do you want to do? And I was like, "Eh," you know, and he was like, what makes you happy? You know, like, what are you like? And I would try to like unpeel all these things. Well, it would oddly because I worked in, you know, I worked for a defense contractor. I worked in lobbying on the Hill. I went to school in DC. I worked uh, for a bank. Like, Oddly, what we determined after many, 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 many hours together was I really had this great passion for retail. Oh. And it went like way back to the time that I was a kid. I just never thought there was like a place for me in retail. And like to make matters worse, I was like, I just made this whole situation worse. I got an MBA. Like, yeah. like there was not a place for me before in retail. And now I have an MBA with no experience. Like, what am I going to do? <laughs> so um, it was funny. It was a humongous realization that I really wanted to be in something consumer. I wanted to be in something with product. Yeah. So I then sort of just really hit the pavement. So once I figured that out, it was a huge unlock. Um, it was an enormous stress relief, even though I had to then go like find a job. So I started using the network and Wharton's got an amazing network. I ended up getting this girl on the phone. There was really no email or not much that, you know, back then it wasn't as prevalent. I got this girl on the phone and I said, Hey, I applied for this job at this company that you work at. Um, you're a Wharton MBA too. I'm hoping you can like maybe give me some insights about the place or like, you know, anything you can share with me would be so helpful. And, um, she said, well, that job you applied for, it's really great. And it sounds, you know, it's, it's a good job, but, um, if you, but she's like, there's this other job. Hmm. Hang on one sec. She said, there's this other job that's really great. It's all of the strategy for the head of merchandising. um, And you do this, 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 and that, that. And I was like, oh my gosh, that sounds like my dream job. And she's like, well, it is because I'm a Wharton MBA. It's my job. She's like, I'm leaving. And I haven't told them yet. She's like, you fortuitously just like sliding doors moment caught me. My husband is relocating. I need to leave and go to the West Coast. There was no work from home then. Um, I'll put your resume in when I put my resignation in. So that place ended up being um, Tiffany and Company, the jeweler. Yeah. And it was a dream. It was like 
it was at the height of, um, you know, the brand sparkle, no pun intended. It was like at the time when silver jewelry was really popular and everybody had to have the return to Tiffany bracelet and, you know, the heart tag and all that stuff. Um, I had a phenomenal boss who is still a friend of mine. And that's another like lesson. Stay, stay friends with people like, you know, over time. Um, so her name is Pam Cloud. I still talk to her till this day and she'll laugh. Um, she hired me with no experience. She just saw something in me and I, till this day, I'm thankful to her. And it was a dream. I worked in a strategy role there for her. And then she gave me the opportunity to be a merchant. Um, I was a, I ran part of the engagement business for them. And then I ended up um, doing another role for them. Um in the middle of working there, I got pregnant with twins um, and it was a really high risk pregnancy. And I was commuting about two hours each way to that job from Princeton to like uptown Manhattan. Yeah. Um, so I took like a sort of more nine to five job with them. And I think if you're in retail and you leave merchandising, I think in any business, here's the lesson. You want to be close to the revenue generation. Yes. So, right. So that's a merchant in retail most of the time. Like they're the ones who um, create, buy, develop the product that is actually then sold and generates revenue. So stay close to the thing that generates revenue is my suggestion. That's a great, that's a great insight. And and I think commonly misunderstood, right? Like Oh, absolutely. People never understand. They're like, I'm in the, I'm in back office. I'm in a cost center. And they're like, why am I not getting tapped to do X, Y, Z? Well, you don't have PL experience. Like you don't, you know, you're not, if you're not part of the revenue generation, like you're not, and I hate to say this, you're not as critical to the company as other folks are. Yeah. Or they don't, view it, they don't view it that way, at least, right? You, I mean, the critical. Yeah, it's it's yeah. a hard fact, but I mean, I I won't dispute that fact. To be honest, I, I'm sure somebody will debate me on this, but, um, <laughs> yeah. but I won't dispute that fact. If you're not the revenue generator, it's, and it's not one role, every industry has its own. The revenue generators are just a little bit more important. They are. They're the ones who are responsible for the top line growth of the business. Yeah. You can't grow a business by cutting expenses. So. Yeah. No, right. So you, that's the point. It doesn't work. It doesn't. It's not. It's certainly not a long term. No. Yeah, growth strategy. No, it's that's that's that that in itself. I, I think right there is kind of like the, the kind of both from an insight from the whole discussion certainly is should stand out. But also, I'm 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 gonna uh, imagine and you know maybe make a, an assumption here. Really, an interesting pivot or moment in your career where it opened up your your mind to like really thinking about the rest of your career. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. So, I mean, the the problem is I then, and, you know, Pam, like, recently said to me, didn't I tell you not to do that? And this is like 20 years later or something, right? (laughs) Um, It's funny. Um, But the problem is, like, you make make choices, too. Like, I decided to take a step back because of the twins, and the twins are now almost 15, right? So I guess it was 15 years ago. Um, But, you know, I decided to make different choices for them. I went into a role that was much more nine to five. And frankly, it was like kind of boring to me. Yeah. Um, so when I got back, I just decided, like I used to say like, oh, the commute, all that stuff, it's nothing. I love my job. I mean, imagine 
being at like a cocktail party or a dinner or something and people are like, what do you do? And you're like, I'm the engagement buyer for Tiffany. It's like, you know, like, okay, like how much better does it get? People's faces would light up, you know? So it was great. And I had great colleagues and great friends. One of my best friends, like talk to almost every day is, um, was a, a colleague there, you know, it was an amazing place to work for sure. Mm-hmm. So I definitely didn't know that it was kind of like Camelot then, which, you know, I always tell people who I'm mentoring or, you know, talking about career stuff, like, you know, understand when, what good is because good is not that normal, right. To be like really happy in your job and your career and your role is not that normal. So if you are like, you know, celebrate that and lean into it for sure. Yeah, that's a that's a common topic, right? Like, you know, we 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 talk to people a lot, and and the 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 whole find what your passion is. Like, you were talking about the the professor at uh, yes, yeah. What you just said there, like, there's some very interesting paths that will get you to passion that are usually not the same thing that you would maybe initially answer that question with. And I think that's why it's so hard because passion so hard on the surface could be. I like this thing or I like this type of activity, but in the end, it's not really what is the right type of passion, you know, thinking, if you will, for how you want to define your career. So for me, it's that thing that like, I never want to shut off. Like, and so I, I have to do something I'm passionate about now. Like once that, once that sort of like, I understood that, Um, it was a huge unlock for my life because like my life and my job are somewhat intertwined and it's Mm -hmm. not that I like, you know, um, live to work, but I really enjoy what I do and I feel really like passionate and excited about what I do. And I always feel like whatever it is, I'm doing something that, um, impacts other folks in a great way. So, um, yeah, I think that's really important. Um, so I ended up leaving Tiffany after I had the kids literally because of the commute and the time and stuff. And I mm-hmm. had left this great job. So the great, a great role there, which was another really um, something that I should have spent more time on. And I, I look back on often on that decision. Huh. Um, but I had gone to school and got a degree and um, the school that I'd gone to started a retail center mm-hmm. and they really wanted an alum and somebody who worked in retail to be the managing director of the center. So I saw the job posting and actually it was funny. I wasn't really looking. I was looking at jobs in Philadelphia because I thought maybe that'll be an easier commute from where I live. I can just get in a car and go to Philadelphia and this role popped up. So I sent this long email to a professor who was running the center at the time. And I remember saying to my husband, like, I had him as a professor. He's not always super responsive. He's got a lot of stuff going on. If I don't hear from him in like two weeks, I'll, you know, try to get to him in some other way. Well, like an hour later, he emailed me back and he was like, can we have lunch on Monday? You know? So I was like, sure. And he basically like, they had been looking for a while and he basically gave me the job like over lunch, which isn't always, usually is not a great thing, but it worked out really well that time. Um, (laughs) So I ended up going to run um, the Baker Retailing Center at Wharton for um, a long time. I don't know, almost six years, I guess. For me, that's a long time. Um, So almost six years, I guess. And 
nothing I've ever done has had um, a bigger impact on my career, like singularly than, than that. Um, I was in this great position um, of, you know, at the same time having this like trifecta of um, helping mentor, grow, help students, MBAs and undergrads, you know, get excited about retail and figure out what their, what their career path could look like and do the things that that professor had done for me and like helping mm. them get into the retail industry. Yeah. Um, so, so rewarding on that side. We like formulated, uh, I bartered with some retail companies and we would like formulate job rotations and internships mm. and research projects for students. And they were just so excited and so happy. Like they had come to Wharton thinking that, you know, they would get stuck in, in financial services or something like that and get stuck on wall street and I banking. And it, for some subset, it wasn't what they wanted to do. So they were just so excited to have these opportunities and their passion was then like ignited. So it was like, so personally gratifying for me. Yeah. Um, and then I was able to interact with all these amazing academics and, you know, learn from them and like listen to them and spend time with them. So that was so gratifying and then on the third side, there was industry, like our, one of our main edicts was to sort of like build this bridge between industry and academia. Yeah. So we had a board of, I don't know, like in its heyday, like 45 to 50 of the biggest retail CEOs in the, in the world, really. Wow. Um, yeah. And they were amazing people and so generous with the students, with me, with everything we were doing with our mission. Um, you know, sometimes during that job, I would literally like shake my head and be like, who are you? Cause I would like be walking down the street and like going to a meeting with one retail CEO. And then like another one would call me like, it was like a really surreal um, environment and yeah. so rewarding on all sides and just so amazing. So, well, and, 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 and just as a, I mean, just thinking about that in the sense of like, when you're thinking about from a, uh, for the students, how many, amazing. Right. For how many executives? I mean, because I, I do think it's hard if you're at a company trying to call into a business and trying to get to you know that kind of exposure. But one of the benefits of a, of a program like the Wharton program or, or any you know good yeah. program is those universities are going to give you exposure to people that I mean, just amazing types of people. Right. The CEOs of, of big retailers in this particular case. But any any master's program or track that has these types yeah. of enhancements are going to give that type of exposure. So another really interesting benefit for um, uh, someone who's looking at taking, you know, getting into the master's tracks uh, in a yeah. graduate school, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's so funny because um, I don't think a lot I people, um, this may sound odd to some folks, I'll preface by saying, but I call them like my other kids, right? Nope. Like I, and a lot of those quote unquote, I'm air quoting kids <laughs> are still, um, I am extraordinarily close with, um, I still keep in touch with a lot of them, many, many, many of them, most of them, I would say. Um, and they become, I'm part of their network. They're part of mine in the retail mm -hmm. space. So, um, but yeah, they, they thought it was normal at the time, like to hear from all of these folks and have this sort of direct contact with the CEOs of like, you know, every department store in America or like VF, as you well know, like mm -hmm. all of that. So, um, 
when they leave school, they're like, wait a minute, that was like, that was not reality. Like, not that it wasn't reality, but they didn't realize that like, it wasn't normal to have the sorts of interactions they yeah. had. Right. So, um, it was, it was great. It was really like a wonderland of a job. And then on top of all of that, I don't know how I haven't even mentioned yet. The benefactor for, um, for that program is a gentleman named Jay Baker and, mm. Jay was one of the founders of Kohl's, the department store chain. Yeah. Jay was like, I mean, and he is, I don't mean to sound in the past, but just given that time, like, I mean, the greatest mentor that ever was and the greatest sort of like teacher and supporter and just everything. I mean, it was not like check writing philanthropy. Jay was very involved in the program and very supportive and used his name, his connections, like everything for these kids to like raise the next generation of retail. So it was just pure passion. Like, there you go. Right. So pure passion again. And I loved working there. So that's, 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 it's all. And you could feel, I mean, you could feel the passion coming out and just the story that you're telling there. So. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a great place. I, you know, the fondest of memories. So Um, so then you're like, well, why would you ever leave that? Um, so being at a university for six years, is kind of like Groundhog's Day. It's like, yeah. so it's like, you know, every year starts over again and it's very systematic. It's like, you've got convocation again. Oh, look, there's another incoming class again. Oh, look, there's another spring break again. Like it's very systematic. And, um, we ended up moving to a location in the university where the entrepreneurial ventures group was as well. So you started seeing things like, you know, most famously like Warby Parker being formed on campus and all of this stuff. And I started to think like I had another child and, you know, I knew I was done having kids. So you start to think like what I have all these years ahead of me to to work. What am I going to do? Like, what's my legacy going to be? What am I going to do? And I started to think about like all of these businesses and .com. And when I was a merchant at Tiffany, uh, .com wasn't a channel. It was like a location. Like you had these 50 stores and you assorted them. And then it was like, do you assort e-com? Yes or no. You know, like it wasn't its own channel. So that whole sort of .com movement and e-commerce itself had passed me by. And Mm -hmm. I knew it was like a really big hole for me. So... I eventually uh, met some 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 folks who were doing a startup, and it was um, you know this story. It was about um, reading the uh, ambient signals, the Wi-Fi signals that were coming off of smartphones yeah. to determine location or how often you went to a place, how long you stayed, where you were in the place, like all stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really, really, really early days. And literally our first office was in the VC funds office. Like we had like a cubicle. So yeah. there were like the three founders and me, and we were like four of us in a cubicle. We'd hire someone else. And then when everybody would like shift their, you know, scooch over a little bit. And like, it was literally like 10 people in one cubicle after a while. So yeah. you shudder now in the middle of a pandemic saying that, but it was true. Yeah. Um, and I did that for like literally less than a year. Mm -hmm. Um, It was a great, great lesson in like, I am not for day one of a startup. It's (laughs) it's too much. It's too much risk. It's too much. Fake it until you can make it. It's too much. Like, it's just, it's too much of everything for me. And that's what I learned on that occasion. Um, So I left there and then... One of my Wharton kids, who's not a kid again, so I hate to say that, but that's what I call them, um, 
I had seen a job posting and um, I called him and I said, hey, you're connected to these folks. Like I saw this job posting. What do you think? And he was like, listen, that company, like, he's like, I know you and you invented like a way out of the box. They invented the box. So, (laughs) you know, he's like, it's not going to be a good fit for you. And I was like, oh, that's such a bummer. It seems like a really cool opportunity. Yeah. And he's like, you know what? Not that company, but there's this other company. um, And there's somebody I want to introduce you to. I think that you'll, you know, they've been looking for somebody to do this job for a long time. And I, I think you'll really click with them. So that was General Gross Properties, GDP, which was the second largest shopping mall owner in the U.S. They've since um, gone through some um, ownership changes and stuff. So, Mm. but yeah, there's, there's Simon and then there's GDP and then there's a couple of other shopping mall companies. It's Mm -hmm. a really consolidated industry in the U.S. Mm -hmm. Well, they were looking for someone to run customer experience. Um, They knew that the, the, the malls, again, when you turn to like that whole um, notion of like, where's the money coming from? Yep. The revenue generators in the malls are the leasing guys and, yep. and girls, women. Um, so malls are, any property is there to be leased. And that's really where, that's where the money comes in. And that's what you focus on because that's what's paying your rent, you know, as a company, like that's what's growing your top line, let's say. So um the question was like, could you create a better experience and lease stores for more money? Like, would you attract better retailers, different retailers? Would you charge them more? Stuff like that. So it took us, um, you know, I was there for, I don't know, a year and a half or so. It wasn't very long. Um, but again, that was like such a phenomenal, amazing job. Um what we realized probably at the end of the day was like, no, it actually doesn't matter that much. <laughs> or at that time, it did not. It didn't. It didn't. I think we were really early. It was a, a really innovative idea. So it taught me a couple things. Number one, always like support the revenue generation of a business. That's number one. If you're not doing that, you're not key or critical. That's number one. Yeah. Number two um, is it's okay to try something go all in on it, make a decision and then get new information and make a different decision. And that's what happened. We had a really, really, really innovative revolutionary CEO, Sandeep Mathrani is the CEO of WeWork now. Mm -hmm. I had a phenomenal boss who, you know, um, as well. Scott, you're talking about. Yes, exactly. And I had an incredible team who like, Mm -hmm. he just really wanted to run and I'm really good at like rallying people to run and run for a cause we still are all in a group text all these years later. It was a, like a really, really, really ridiculously amazing group of people. And I, you know, it was because of them, we got so much done in that year and a half. Well, what, you know, Sandeep and the executive team decided at the end was, guess what? It didn't really make a difference. Like, mm. yeah, people complain about like bathrooms and parking and all this other stuff. But if the store they want to go to is in the property, they'll go there anyway. Like, yeah. is that a hundred percent the story? Like, no, I mean, you obviously have to be like at some level, but you know, that's generally the story and what I would take from it and what I would share with you as insights. Yeah. Um, and that's okay. That is really okay. Mm-hmm. Is yeah, what I'll we'll say. Take the shot, right? Take the shot, learn. And that's exactly yeah. right. That's exactly right. So um, after that, um, a colleague of mine from GGP was doing another real estate project in Manhattan and called me and was like, please come help me do this. 
a vendor of ours, to go back to other stories, a vendor of ours um, called me and was like, hey, if you're not working with G- for GDP anymore, can you come work for me and help me? Yeah. And I couldn't decide exactly what I wanted to do. Yeah. So I'm really like, I'm kind of risk averse and I really would like love like, you know, just a solid like paycheck coming in and to work for one company and have everything really like neat and in a box. But I was like, you know what? All these people are calling me and I can't decide. So if I can do them all, I'll do them all. And that's what I did. I went, I started being a consultant and I worked for a couple of people at a time and it was, um, kind of refreshing, honestly, like when somebody would be like, this meeting is on Friday. And I'd be like, oh, yeah, I don't I don't come into the city on Friday. Sorry. You know, like <laughs> it was really refreshing to be able to make my own schedule and mm-hmm. do things like at my own pace. So I did that for um, a bit. And then another friend of mine called and said, um, I'm doing this like um, going down to this little place called Bentonville, Arkansas. Oh. I'm going to work for a little retailer who happens to be the Fortune One. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I would love for you to come talk to them and, and see what you think. Um, so I was like, you want me to go like talk to somebody in Arkansas, you know, but, yeah. but that's like the one side. Reality is on the other side, I had spent the last, I don't know, 10 plus 15 years of my career somehow in consumer businesses and sort of like studying retail, Mm -hmm. customer experience, honing those skills. And I think if you love retail, you have a Walmart crush in some way, shape or form. (laughs) Like it is the fortune one. They are not only the fortune one, but the biggest retailer in the world, you know, so right. You got to respect it for sure. You have to respect it and be intrigued by it and everything else. So Um, I interviewed there and I ended up um, doing something really funny. So the customer service org was sort of like formed in this transformation and it was like already like in place when I started talking to them. Mm -hmm. So my friend David was the CHRO. He was the chief human resources officer for Sam's Club, like a little $60 billion at the time, like, you know, um, little tiny business tucked within Walmart So um, he said, you know, like, I really love, like, I, you love retail, you know, everything about retail. He had been my campus recruiter for Macy's when I was at Wharton. So that's how I knew him. So again, like cultivate your network, not in a weird, creepy way, but just like, you know, stay in touch with people. They, they want to help you and it's great over time. Yeah. Um, And, but he's like, what about if we come do something you come do something odd, you come work for me and you do associate experience. Uh-huh. And I was like, you want me to work in HR? I don't understand. Like, so <laughs> he was like, yeah, I need somebody who understands frontline retail, who understands clubs and stores, who understands like, you know, cashiers and all these, all these other folks and stores and inventory and product and merchandising and all of that. But also understands experience and can like journey map and see things and lead through change and all of those things. And, you know, as is always the case, I fall in love with the possibility. So, um, I interviewed down there and then I came back and I remember, you know, my husband is always incredibly supportive. We had lived in the Northeast our whole lives and, um, we sat the kids down and we had like a, we call it a family meeting when we do these things. And we were like, 
I know you love it here. I know this is the only like place you've ever lived and stuff, but there's something to be said for other places. And I remember Gerard saying to them, you know, mom loves retail. And they were like, mom loves retail. Yes, we know. You know, (laughs) we've had to go to like jewelry stores and malls and all these other places because of retail. Um, He was like, well, the biggest retailer in the world is at a place called Arkansas, you know? So, and they were like, let's go. And they were so excited. So we moved to Arkansas for three years. Um, It was the wildest ride ever. Um, Learned so much, met so many amazing people. Um, Learned so much about HR that I brought to my next role. And I don't think I'd be as effective as a CEO without having done that. Mm -hmm. And I never would have said that, but um, yeah, we lived there for three years. My kids loved it. We had to like drag them back to the Northeast. Um, <laughs> I wanted to come back. Um, but yeah, it was a phenomenal experience. And again, same sorts of themes. Like it was a time of great change, the, you know, the digital transformation and the, the moving of, you know, the fortune one, the biggest ship that there is the turning of that ship. And it was amazing to be, an officer there at the time and be a part of that. Um, And again, just reinforced lots of these lessons of you make decisions for the day with the best information you have. And then you don't get married to them. If you do, you make poor decisions in the future and you can see a lot of companies, you know, your Kodak or your Blackberry or your, some of those other businesses that were not able to change. You get new information, you reprocess and you make different decisions. And that is exactly what you do. It's not only like, that's okay. That's what you should do. Yeah. Um, So, so many lessons there. And then we came back here and then a month or two later, the pandemic hit. (laughs) And yeah. And I was advising Compass. Friends of mine had started this business and they called me. Um, It, um, you know, I know a lot of people have had a lot of heartache through the pandemic and I'm super respectful and mindful of that. There've also been a lot of businesses that have um, really benefited from it in some way. Although that sounds odd, but think about like e-commerce or delivery services. Mm -hmm. So we service companies who, whose e-commerce businesses had grown. So we grew a tremendous amount and Mm -hmm. the business just sort of like outgrew the leadership that was in place. So they called me and said like, you know, you've been a great advisor, a great friend of Compass do you want to come run this? And, um, you know, I look back on my career now and it sounds sort of crazy if we like write it down, it goes from like, you know, a defense contractor to bank to retailer, luxury retailer to university, to a startup, to, uh, real estate, commercial real estate, Back to retail, but at the exact opposite end of the spectrum, like, you know, in very um, uh, uh, modest price point retail to customer service, like in a startup again. So, um, but I will legitimately a million percent say two things. Number one, you could never have planned this. So don't even bother trying to do that. Just like keep your eyes open for the opportunities Um, And number two, every single one of those roles in some way, shape or form led to the next one. Yeah, that's great. Great advice. And I know I know we're short on time here, but I got to ask one last question, if you don't mind, Aaron, before we wrap up. No, I'm fine. I I pushed something back. So I'm fine. Cool, cool. So let me let me ask them two questions just to kind of wrap it up, because you did an excellent job kind of summarizing like your journey, which 
like you said, if you write it out on, on a map, it seems like, holy cow, those are some incredible pivots. But as you hear the story, you can see how you really built yourself in a way or you kind of set yourself up to kind of move almost, it almost felt fluidly throughout the career because you're taking so many, it was a great demonstration of how you can take the lesson from one experience to the next and be successful mm -hmm. in, you know, and then use all of the kind of consistent lessons from, you know, in any field around building your network, strengthening your relationships, being yeah. open to ideas and being open to new opportunity that will just create kind of a very, um, you know, fulfilling and, and rewarding career. So that, that, that's an excellent kind of um, way to s summarize it. But so I'm going to ask the kind of two con like questions I, I ask all the guests. Um, yeah. You hit on so many great insights. But, you know, first and foremost is, you know, everyone has a definition of success. And that definition certainly changes throughout a lifetime. If you think about what, how you define success in your career today, especially as you're talking about, you're, you're kind of back in like a startup world. Yeah. You know, but like, how does that definition of success today differ from what you would have defined success in your career or professional life or just maybe in life in general when you were 21, 22, 23 years old, just starting out in your career? Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of easy to answer. Um, and I think, you know, people who know me, one of my one of my partners and I were just talking about that this week and he's of a similar mindset. So I think when you're starting out in your career, success is like your personal success. And I think as you mature, maybe age, um, and start leading teams and leading leaders of teams, success is those folks being successful. Like, I think you go home every night with a smile on your face. If you, I do, if I, um, help somebody learn something, I unblocked for somebody, I empowered somebody, um, I helped them just be more efficient, more effective and better at their job in some way. That's what drives me and gives me a feeling of personal success. And I feel like when you help other people, the whole, like it's, it's just, it magnifies like one plus one equals three. Mm -hmm. You start growing these amazing teams and it's just like a, there's a virtual cycle and like a flywheel to it for a business. Yeah. So well, well, that's great. That's excellent leadership advice too. Um, and then the kind of the final question, which is very similar in some ways, but it's, it's just kind of a fun way to wrap up conversations is, yeah. you know, being somewhat of a back to the future, you know, nerd or whatever. Yeah. You know, if you had a DeLorean, right. You could jump yeah. in, punch in a date and you go back to, when you were 22 years old or 21 years old, kind of coming out of school mm -hmm. and you could have a conversation. What do you think are maybe some of the things that you're going to tell yourself or talk, want to talk to yourself about in, in, in that moment? That's a good one. Um, so I think, first of all, my mom would say this actually, which is funny because I don't, um, I don't, my mom would give me this advice. Like I always, always, always love school and learning. And I have like really high curiosity. Mm -hmm. Um, I still like people will laugh. I like, I read pretty voraciously and I just, I love learning. Um, Katie Milkman's new book, how to change highly recommend just finished and <laughs> love it. Um, I think I would have gone back to school. I think I probably would have been a teacher of some sorts, a professor, um, 
in some way. And again, I really, 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 really love like unlocking people's potential and helping them get there. Yeah. So I definitely think I would have done that. And I, that just wasn't a career opportunity or like a path that was available to me. Like, um, I, I just don't know. I had a very sort of, uh, myopic view of what careers were available to me. So I never dreamed of like being a doctor or a professor or any of these things. I just thought I had to like get a job and work. Cause that's yeah. what I had. I'd come from sort of like uh, middle class, but I would say like more modest, uh, mm. middle class, um, uh, an upbringing. So, um, there was that, um, and then the other thing I would say is to like get over myself. Um, I think a lot of times people who are like really uh, hard charging and maybe like really high on the spectrum of like um, wanting to be successful, um, we get like, you know, if everybody is not thinking like us, like they're wrong or they're done or, you know, yeah. like very like um, wanting everybody to be like running as hard as us. And like, yeah. gosh, think about what a crazy world that would be, <laughs> like, you know? Um, somebody who I worked with at Walmart, um, a woman named Pamela Stout once gave me this advice and it was such great advice, like in the middle of change. Mm -hmm. If you are always like on the top of the mountain, you can always see everything clearly. Yeah your job is to go back down the mountain and help other people get up there so that they can see. If you just keep like barking at people, like, why can't you see what I see? They're not at the top of the mountain. So they literally can't see what you see. Yeah. Um, and I think so many times in life when I was younger, um, I would have benefited by understanding that. Yeah. No, that's, that's excellent advice. Cause it's not just like a leadership insight. I think it's a, everything like in you know in, yes. like appreciating that like your view of the world be it from the top of a mountain it's just like, yours it's, it's yours and yeah. yeah yeah and yeah so when i talked about like the hr stuff and like how that really has i think you know a good chunk of my time as a ceo is spent on on hr things and people yeah um people uh issues in general um i <laughs> think that's like the the most important thing that I say to people all the time like your everything like your reality is your reality like yeah. my reality is my reality sometimes mm -hmm. you just have to like pick up the cube and turn it around and realize there's so many different sides to it and so many different ways to see things you know and we have to remember that yeah I'll it's tell you so yeah and and I'll tell you not you know just as a as a thought on that or whatever Having mm -hmm. children is one of the best ways to learn that lesson. Yes, because they're they're not like you, right? Like in yeah, right, like they're, you know, they're, they're yours, but by design, they're like not exactly like you. So you have yeah. yes, agreed, yeah. agreed. Yeah. And I, I say that a lot of times, and I try to be like mindful and respectful again of not not sounding like um, paternalistic or maternalistic <laughs> when I say it. But yeah, for sure, if you're a parent, you can I think say that raising children and there are some parallels between raising children and leading folks. And again, I don't mean that in a, a kooky, well, yeah. weird sort of way. I didn't mean to in, insinuate that either. I just was saying when you, when you have a child and they're looking at the yeah. world without the biases that adults have or without yep. filters, yeah, it is, it is a great 
understanding of how anyone, not because they're a subordinate or not because of yeah. whatever, just that whole idea that the perspective that someone has is built on what they know and a child doesn't know yes. a whole lot. So they yes. have a fresh look at things. So a hundred percent agree. It's a great way of putting it for yeah. sure. So, well, Aaron, Hey, I know, I know you got to run, you got to, you got to get to the next thing. And I appreciate you taking time. Cause I know this is a busy time of year for you and you're trying to get a business really charged up, but uh, your insights have been fantastic. Your story was wonderful. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Todd. I always appreciate talking to you. Again, great conversation. Uh, I hope you guys really enjoyed Erin. She's she's a, she's got tons of great positive energy, uh, and again, that that career journey going from the Defense Department, coming out of school, and and how she thought she was going to get into government and 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 be kind of a diplomat, and then kind of pivoting over into the benefits role and getting into the banking world, um, and 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 then just how everything else kind of built on that to where she found a passion in retail, which I think she, you know, really is a very interesting kind of moment in her career. Because if you, if you think about the path to get to where she was when she moved into to retail, you know, she, she really didn't have a ton of retail professional background. But when she used both her kind of network within um, her, her graduate degree, her MBA from Morton, as well as finding that passion to get to retail and kind of put it together, it opened up this really, um, really interesting opportunity at Tiffany's and uh, like she said, I mean, it was a great, great opportunity, great role for her. And, and, you know, when she left, it was very much built on personal choice and personal decision that many people in, in their professional lives have to, you know, kind of really approach as they, they get to different places, depending on where they live or, or their family situation. So, um, but, you know, that kind of launched her into kind of the, the, the next phase of her career, which was a really strong um, kind of path through retail in different aspects. So both the, the kind of merchandising at Tiffany's and then moving over uh, into the education space when she was leading the, uh, the retail uh, um, uh, group at Wharton. And then, you know, that what that led to in terms of what that opened up her kind of network as well as, you know, what opportunities were out there. And she got into commercial real estate for a while and then over into Walmart for a while. And then, you know, coming back and doing some consulting and finding herself in this, in this role with um, Compass Experience. So, Again, she's got great insights. I hope you enjoyed the discussion. I mean, some great takeaways around building and cultivating a network, being open to opportunity, how she defines success. You know, you go from being very focused on your own personal success to really opening up that, that door to finding that success can be very rewarding when you're focused on other people's success. Uh, and then I think, you know, just the other aspects of her, you know, her, her thinking around the, the, her love of learning and the curiosity. I think that's, a, that's another thing that a lot of people that have good careers have found that just being curious can open up so many doors. So again, hope you enjoyed the conversation. You know, we've got, you know, we've got 24 other conversations already uh, published as we, as we go forward, we're going to continue to publish these types of conversations. Um, if you, if you enjoy the conversations, please share uh, with, with your friends and family, your, your personal networks. Um, give us some love on, on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Rate us, follow us, uh, maybe even give us some comments and, um, you know, and follow us on Instagram and, 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 and uh, Twitter at, at Career Catalyst Podcast, or you can follow me on LinkedIn at Todd Starsevich and I can uh, give you, uh, I, I give you uh, the updates on new episodes and, and we'll be doing some other, I think, formats as we go forward to kind of try to focus on some highlights and things like that. So again, hope you enjoyed the conversation. Look forward to more episodes coming uh, in the future. So thanks a lot. Have a great day.